very warm welcome to the Brexit Briefing with me, Marcus Stead, exclusive to Talk Podcasts. Coming up in this edition, could the civil service be about to betray Brexit? Something happened last week that was not widely reported in the mainstream media, and I'll be telling you all about that. As Brexit date gets nearer, is Philip Hammond fit to be Chancellor? Dominic Raab outlines what he says a no-deal Brexit would look like. I ask, is there any cause for alarm? Well, summer does appear to be over, sadly, doesn't it? Um, The heatwave is certainly over, we know that much for sure. I've had to turn the heating on here in the flat, which I don't normally have to do until well into September, so that's particularly disappointing. But yep, we're coming towards the end of August now, and Parliament returns next week ahead of the autumn party conference season. There will inevitably be major developments in the Brexit process. We are in unpredictable waters, and with that in mind... There's going to be a Brexit briefing podcast every week for at least the next six weeks, only here on Talk Podcasts. First up, do you remember when Theresa May said this? The point of getting out of the customs union is that we will be leaving the European Union, so we will be coming out of the customs union, and coming out of it means that we can do free trade deals around the rest of the world. What we will be doing is ensuring that we take back control of our money, of our borders and our laws as we leave the European Union, We will be negotiating a trade agreement with the EU for the future, a trade agreement which we will want to ensure gives us as tariff-free and frictionless trade across our borders with the EU as possible. But coming out of the EU gives us the freedom to sign free trade deals around the rest of the world. Yes, with countries like China, but of course that takes some time to negotiate. Before we get there, we can enhance our trade as well. Well, as I have said on previous Brexit briefings and elsewhere, Leaving the customs union is pivotal if Brexit is to be a success, for exactly the reasons Theresa May said in that clip, which incidentally came from early February this year. I'll be returning to the themes around that later on in the podcast, when we explore the implications of a so-called no-deal Brexit. But something happened last week that contradicted all of that. Guido Fawkes reported on Friday that the Department for International Trade is interviewing for a business support manager. Nothing unusual about that until you look at the job description's five bullet points for key areas of responsibility. The second bullet point reads, and I quote, Customs Union, with G7 support, leading business environment advisory team engagement with those developing the policy about the UK's membership of the customs union as it develops, end of quote. The department is headed by arch-Brexiteer Liam Fox, and that statement completely contradicts what he had to say about it on the 28th of February. As rule takers, without any say in how the rules were made, we would be in a worse position than we are today. It would be a complete sellout of Britain's national interests and a betrayal of the voters in the referendum. Remaining in a customs union of any type would only make sense if we were to abandon our global ambitions and limit our abilities to shape our trade policy to the changes in the global environment that I have outlined. Tomorrow's choices would be constrained by today's status quo we would deny ourselves the opportunity to shape Britain's place in the future world economy and our ability to influence the direction of that economy itself. That all sounds clear enough, doesn't it? Later on Friday afternoon, the Department for International Trade 
got in touch with Guido Fawkes, the source of the story, to say that the description was incorrect, despite the job description referencing the customs union twice. And I quote, This job description was incorrect. The government has made it very clear that the UK is leaving the customs union. We will establish a new and ambitious customs arrangement with the EU that will allow us to maintain as frictionless trade as possible in goods between the UK and the EU. End of quote. And interviews for that job began last Friday, incidentally, so we're led to believe. But to me, this is not the end of the matter. Why on earth was that second bullet point in the job description in the first place? Surely even the most junior of civil servants in a department should be completely aware that staying in the customs union is not an option and is not government policy. So from this, I think we can draw one of two conclusions. Either the government is preparing for a sellout on the customs union, a complete backtrack on what Theresa May and Liam Fox said in those clips, or the civil service, specifically the Department for International Trade, is not following government instructions and is pressurising the government into backtracking on its commitment to withdraw from the customs union. It's one or the other. I suppose it's possibly even both if you're really cynical. I find it hard to believe that that second bullet point in that job description was an oversight. This is further evidence, if it was needed, that the civil service is dominated by people who do not believe in a full and complete Brexit. Talking of people who don't really believe in Brexit, Chancellor Philip Hammond published a letter to the Remain supporting backbench Conservative MP Nicky Morgan, warning of what he called the large fiscal consequences of a no-deal Brexit. It highlighted research predicting that borrowing would be £80 billion a year higher within 15 years, and he said that chemicals, food and drink, clothing, manufacturing, cars and retail were likely to be the sectors most badly affected, particularly in the northeast of England and Northern Ireland. Mr Hammond told Morgan that a no-deal Brexit could hit GDP by up to 10%. The letter resulted in a strong rebuke from former Brexit Secretary David Davis, who walked out of the Cabinet days after the Chequers Agreement, shortly before the summer recess. This is what Mr Davis had to say to Anne Widdicombe on Talk Radio. The, the majority of our trade is going to, to the rest of the world. It will reinforce all those things. So I think under, uh, under any circumstances we're going to be better off uh, outside, uh, outside the Union. But you know, I, do th- I do still think, uh, to come back to your original point, that the proposal uh, from Chequers, uh, which I argued against very firmly on the day, um, uh, uh, will not meet... Uh, the undertakings we gave the people. And, that, and that's, that's, that, for me, is the fundamental problem. We'll come back to whether no deal is better than a bad deal a little bit later on. But the Treasury and the Office for Budget Responsibility does not have a particularly good track record in making forecasts. It made its first post-Brexit vote forecasts in November 2016. It said the deficit would be £68.2 billion in 2016-17. It was actually £46 billion. It forecast £59 billion in 2017-18. It was £39 billion. And it said the 2018-19 deficit would be £46 billion. It's likely to be closer to £30 billion. 
these are pretty big margins for error. And it does seem very clear, doesn't it, that we've got a Chancellor who at this crucial time in the months leading up to Brexit doesn't believe in the Brexit process and is orchestrating Project Fear Mark II. On the same day, Philip Hammond's letter to Nicky Morgan became public. Brexit Secretary Dominic Raab made a speech where he outlined what a so-called no-deal Brexit would look like. In the 24 documents, which cover industries including medicine, finance and farming, it says, The cost of card payments between the UK and EU will likely increase and will not be covered by a ban on surcharges. Businesses trading with the EU should start planning for new customs checks and might have to pay for new software or logistical help. Britons living elsewhere in the EU could lose access to UK banking and pension services without EU action. UK organic food producers could face new hurdles to exporting to the EU. Pharmaceutical companies have been told to stockpile an extra six weeks worth of medicines to ensure a seamless supply. The UK would continue to accept new medicines that have been tested in the EU. Low-value parcels from the EU would no longer be eligible for VAT relief. And new picture warnings will be needed for cigarette packets, as the EU owns the copyright for the current ones. So there you go. No food shortages. No army on the street. No abolition of BLT sandwiches and none of the other silly scaremongering we've been hearing from certain quarters in the last two years. The Armageddon version of Brexit James O'Brien tells us about every morning on his radio show is not going to happen. Here's what Mr Raab had to say. I'm just back from Brussels after a further round of negotiations with Michel Barnier. We're stepping up the pace and the intensity of our negotiations and I'm confident that a good deal is within our sights. That remains our top priority. It remains our overriding priority. So before I talk about planning for no deal and the technical notices that we're publishing today, I want to reaffirm what we expect the negotiations to deliver. A good deal with our EU friends, one that works in our mutual interests, and a deal that recognises our shared history and values, but also provides a strong and sustainable foundation for our future relationship. So yes, winding down our membership of the EU, but maintaining our close trading relationship, building on our operational security cooperation, and sustaining the networks of cooperation from research to student exchanges, which we prize on all sides. I'm still confident that getting a good deal is by far the most likely outcome. The vast majority, roughly 80% of the withdrawal agreement has now been agreed, and we're making further progress on those outstanding separation issues. So, is no deal better than a bad deal? We hear too much from so-called experts these days who make predictions based on their own personal prejudices and selective evidence. After all, isn't that what Project Fear Mark 1 and 2 have been all about? One person with a good track record on the UK's relationship with the EU is veteran journalist Christopher Booker. He's 81 years of age now, but he still plays cricket every week during the summer. Booker is what I would call an old-school journalist. He was a founder member of Private Eye in 1961 and continues to work for them part-time to this day. He was also a scriptwriter on David Frost's satirical show That Was The Week That Was, and has been a newspaper columnist and prolific author for decades. Since the early 1990s, 
he's focused a great deal of his work on the EU, more specifically, the role played in British life by bureaucratic regulation coming from Brussels, and he works closely with academic Dr Richard North. Booker's other areas of interest include busting myths about exaggerated dangers of things such as BSE, passive smoking, and the wobbly science behind the theory of man-made climate change. Booker does things the old-fashioned way. We don't have enough of his type of journalism in Britain today. As James Dellingpole says of him, he digs, he puts in the phone calls, he reads the small print, he takes up the cause of the little man and campaigns. He speaks truth to power without fear or favour. So you can see why I take what Christopher Booker says about the Brexit process seriously. Since Theresa May's Lancaster House speech in mid-January, Booker's column in the Sunday Telegraph has persistently returned to the theme of getting the British people to wake up to the potentially catastrophic consequences of the dramatic shift in Theresa May's Brexit strategy revealed in that Lancaster House speech. Until then, it was reasonable to believe that her repeated insistence that she wanted Britain on leaving the EU to continue enjoying frictionless trade within our largest export market. And the only practical way to do this would have been to join the European Free Trade Association, EFTA, and thus remain in the European Economic Area, the EEA. Booker argues that as soon as the Prime Minister slammed the door on this, it became clear that neither she nor her ministers had any real understanding of what it would mean for Britain to shut itself off out entirely from the EU's trading system, to become what the EU describes as a third country. They clearly had no idea of how enmeshed our economy had become with that of the EU or how complex it would be to disengage from it. All we saw instead was our government completely out of its depth, lost in one bubble of wishful thinking after another, of which Mrs May's absurd checkers plan is merely the latest. If the UK chose to join EFTA, we would be able to leave the EU, agree our own trade deals with non-EU countries, since we would not be in the customs union, and we would stay in the single market. Crucially, we would also be able to suspend freedom of movement, since EEA members are allowed to activate Article 112 of the EEA Agreement, known as the Emergency Break. This method has been used by Liechtenstein to suspend freedom of movement indefinitely and implement its own quota system. As a far larger country with much more clout, the UK could do the same with ease. There are inevitably downsides to EEA membership. We would still have to pay some money every year, though nowhere near as much as at present. We'd also have to accept the EU's regulations when we traded with them, but then again, we also have to accept the rules of the USA, China, India, or any other country we choose to trade with, which is reasonable. But on the crucial matters, parliamentary sovereignty, the supremacy of British courts, immigration controls, the ability to form trade deals with the wider world and the ability to form a genuinely independent foreign policy, we would be winners on all counts. We would no longer be in a situation where EU law overrides British law. The highest courts in the land would sit in this country. Our elected representatives in Parliament would have the power to set the criteria to limit immigration levels. 
our armed forces personnel would never ever have to swear an oath of allegiance to the EU flag. It's coming, Mr Juncker has said as much, and we would be free from the protectionist EU regulations that currently prevent us from forming trade deals with the wider world, such as Brazil, India and Singapore, places with growing economies and populations where people actually live. Booker argues that Dominic Raab's speech and the accompanying documents tell us nothing more than what should have been obvious back in the days when Mrs May was still claiming no deal is better than a bad deal, and for detail and clarity they are not a patch on the 68, yes that's 68, notices to stakeholders already issued by the European Commission to spell out the consequences of Britain choosing to become a third country. Booker states that the ultimate irony is that what we are facing is not so much of a, as a no deal as a need for dozens of side deals to be hastily scrambled together in the few remaining months to keep sizeable parts of our economic activity functioning. And many of the most serious issues have not yet been addressed, such as how legally we are going to be able to keep our airports open and our aircraft flying outside UK airspace let alone that intractable riddle of how we keep an open border in Northern Ireland. Booker is right to say that the bottom line is that we are putting at risk a substantial chunk of our export trade with the EU, worth £270 billion a year, or 14% of our GDP, with all the implications for lost jobs, businesses and tax revenues that carries with it. Yet tragically, Without Mrs May's fateful wrong turn in January this year at the Lancaster House speech, so much of this chaos could easily have been avoided. This is still something that can be put right. Indeed, I think it's likely that Parliament will not allow the UK to leave the EU without a deal, and there could be an opposition or a backbench amendment that proposes that we join EFTA. But no matter what happens... I cannot stress loudly enough or often enough the importance of leaving the customs union if Brexit is to be a success. The solution to the Brexit crisis is clear and make no mistake it is now a crisis. There is still time to put this right. The Chequers plan is dead. EFTA membership is a relatively straightforward solution as a means of delivering Brexit and restoring our national independence without putting our economy in jeopardy. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Brexit Briefing. No doubt there'll be plenty more developments in the next seven days. As I'm recording this on Monday morning, there are reports coming through that a leaked memo from the so-called People's Vote campaign is asking MPs and activists to submit a motion for the Labour Party conference next month committing the party to backing a new referendum on the final deal. What they don't tell us is what they propose to do if that final deal is rejected in a referendum, because the EU would almost certainly want something substantial in return for calling off Brexit at this stage, which probably means the UK taxpayer bailing out the Italian economic crisis. Besides, the necessary legislation and campaign time for such a referendum would take around a year, taking us well past the March the 29th deadline. Maybe we'll look into that more in a future Brexit briefing. 
In the meantime, feel free to drop me an email at marcusstead at hotmail.co.uk. Have a good week and don't forget to look out for next week's podcast. Thank you for listening.